And I do have to say, it's also good to preach to people instead of a camera. <laughs> uh, it's just not quite the same. I love Michael Barber, who's our videographer and does such a wonderful job, but it's good to see faces. Uh, preaching is a two-way event as far as I'm concerned, so it's good to have the other half here today. Today we're continuing this series of, me of messages that we've entitled the uh, Unleashed Church, and we're taking a look at the church and what God's vision is for the church and for in, uh, specifically our church. What is God's vision as we move forward into what really feels like this next chapter right now as we return uh, to worship together? You know, I, I, it's been quite a while, but I, I read ago, but I read a, a statist some statistics one time that said this about the church in America. 76% of churches in America are declining or have plateaued. 24% are uh, remaining the same, growing maybe a little bit, or really just growing from transfer growth. These are primarily churches in growing suburbs, new church plants that are growing, obviously, because they're a new church. Uh, and then here's the shocking thing. Only 1% of churches in America today are actually thriving and growing where people are discovering the love of God. It's not so much growth from transfers, but people actually coming to faith and growing in their relationship with God. As I think about our church, I want us to be one of those 1% churches. I think that is God's vision for all churches, that we make an impact in our community, that we are known for these great virtues that we've been looking at uh, last week, this week, and next week, faith, hope, and love, that we are a church that's united in love and moving forward. And so that's my prayer. That's my hope uh, for the last week and to this week and next week. We are looking at these great virtues of faith, hope, and love characterizing these 1% churches. And the church that... Uh, where we get this from is the church in Thessaloniki, which uh, Paul says is one of those 1% churches. And so I want to begin by reading those verses, and then the story we're going to look at today is not so much a, a story of a church, but it is a community of faith. It's the community of faith of people in the Old Covenant with God, and we are in the New Covenant uh, in the grace of Jesus Christ. So let me read the passage from Thessalonians first, and then from Joshua, and then we'll pray. So here it is from Thessalonians. We always thank God for all of you, and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here is the story from the Old Testament. Great story of a community of faith. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river 
the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would take this old story of this community of faith, and we pray that you would speak to us what it means to be people who trust you and who do step out in faith as a church. Lord, speak to us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I am guessing today that uh, there are people in this congregation, all of us, who may be at the river's edge, looking to a new place, experiencing some change in our life that might be ahead, and we're on the edge of the, of the river, wondering whether we should take a step in the river and go across into this new territory. Going from the familiar and the known to the unknown. This is change, isn't it? And all of us experience change on a daily basis, whether they're big or little, and all of us come to the river's edge at times in our lives, either because it's forced upon us or by our choice or by circumstances, and we have the choice, stepping into the river and going across or remaining on the other side in what is safe and familiar. What we're talking about here is change. And although we experience it on almost every, really on a daily basis, almost minute by minute, change is hard for us most often because it unsettles us. It makes us nervous. It causes us fear in our lives. And yet, learning how to cope with change and how to face change with courage instead of fear may be one of the most important skills that we learn in life. Wouldn't you agree? Because change is something that happens to us daily, almost minute by minute. I believe that God wants us to face change in our lives, individually and as a, as a church, with courage and with boldness, to be people that live confident lives. As people of faith, I think God often calls us to exactly where the Israelites are in this story, 
to the edge of the river and we come to a point where we need to make a choice to either move forward or to stay back. How can we become people of faith? And how can we live life with courage instead of fear when we come to these points in our lives? How can we even see change as something that God uses in our lives in a powerful way? That's what I want to explain, explore this morning. It seems to me that the first thing that we got to know about change is that change always involves, and this is kind of obvious, it always involves moving from what is known and familiar and safe to what is unknown and unfamiliar and may even feel not so safe. You know, this may be really at the core of what we fear about change. All change involves moving from something that is comfortable into something that is unknown. And we almost never know what exactly is going to happen when we go from one side of the river to the other. We see this dynamic so clearly in our story today, don't we? Let me give you a little background. The Israelites face a major transition here in their life as a community as they stand on the banks of the Jordan River, gazing over into the promised land. This is something that they've been waiting for, hoping for, dreaming about for 40 years. Ever since they escaped from Egypt through the Red Sea and and came over into uh, the desert, God has been shaping them into a people for 40 years wandering in the desert. Shaping them, building their faith, building them as a community for this point right here to then move into the promised land. And now they are in sight of this dream, this thing that they have been anticipating and hoping for for 40 years, and they pause. They hesitate, and they're a little bit fearful and ambivalent about leaving what is known and moving into or into the unknown. Moses, the leader, the towering figure of the Old Testament, and one, really one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world, has died. He led them through the Red Sea and into this 40 years of wandering in the desert, and now he is dead. And the mantle of leadership has been passed to Joshua, and they weren't as sure about his leadership as they were Moses. And the promised land, that thing that they had yearned for for so long, well, they just weren't sure exactly what was in store for them once they crossed over the river into the promised land. Sure, wandering in the desert in the Sinai was no picnic, but they had learned how to cope with it. It was familiar. It wasn't flowing with milk and honey like the promised land has been promised, but it was familiar. And so there they stand, on the edge of the banks of the River Jordan, scared, ambivalent, a little anxious and uncertain, and they have to make a decision. 
To make the transition to the land they had eagerly be, been anticipating for so many years, they had to let go and move across. And to do this, the Israelites, they had to have courage. Now, here is something that's really interesting about courage. Courage is not so much not having fear. We all have fears. Nelson Mandela, who very much knew about fears and courage, once said, you know, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man, and excuse the exclusive language, is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Like so many things, fear is not necessarily, or courage is not necessarily a feeling, but it's an action. It's something that we do. It's making the decision to cross the river. I have a friend named Gus Lee who has written a number of books. One of them is called China Boy. You may have heard of that. It was very popular in the Bay Area. He's also written a book called Courage, The Backbone of Leadership, which is very interesting, by the way, to think that really courage is the backbone of leadership. Without courage, you can't be a leader. Without courage, you can't love. Without courage, you can't be honest. All the virtues kind of uh, have courage in them. But anyways, one of the main ideas in his book is that almost daily we stand on the banks of the River Jordan, faced with the decision of staying with what is comfortable and safe or moving into the river and moving into the unknown. It's a place of risk. It's a place of vulnerability. And he calls these experiences points of decisions. And he says that how we respond to these almost countless points of decision is what ultimately shapes us as people, as individuals, and I would say also as a church. And it shapes us to become people of faith when we move into them. How we respond ultimately shapes us as a person. And here's something that I found very helpful from Gus's book. It's not just the big, dramatic, life-changing points of the decisions that transform us, but it's those little daily opportunities to step into our fears instead of sidestepping them. For example, we all have those points of decisions that are big. Marriage, great opportunity, but a little scary. At least it was for me. <laughs> Moving to a new city, taking a new job, uh, facing an addiction in an honest way, maybe for the first time. These are big points of decision. And when we step into the river at times like this, we shape our lives. And it gives us confidence to face our fears the next time around. But it's also those little things that shape us to be courageous. For example, you may be standing at the river's edge in a relationship. You know, a good marriage takes courage. Oftentimes, a breakthrough in marriage counseling happens when one couple, one person in the couple, is courageous and is honest and vulnerable, marches off or steps into the river. Maybe it's taking an honest look at something that needs to be changed in your life. Scary. 
Maybe you're a supervisor at work and you have to be honest with someone about something to do with their job. It's a hard place to go. You risk the relationship and those conversations are hard. Lots of things to fear. Or maybe you have to forgive someone. Easier to skip it. But as you forgive, God shapes you. Maybe it's the decision not to be silent when someone says something racist in a conversation. All these little things are crossing the river. And all of them shape us as people. Strength comes from doing the right thing and stepping forward. It's empowering. It fills you with confidence. It helps you to do the same thing the next time you come to the river's edge. Opposite is also true. When we retreat in fear, we become weaker and it hurts our self-esteem. Points of decision are really important. In this story, the people of God are at, obviously, a point of decision. And one of the most important things to realize about this story is it's really about God shaping these people into people of faith. Same way God is shaping us as a church to become people of faith. He wants us to trust him. I believe that God wants churches to live by faith, just like the Thessalonian church. This seems obvious, right? I mean, all churches are centered on faith, right? Well, I think it depends on how you define faith. Sometimes we, if it may sound funny for me to say a church must be a community of faith, but faith is both a noun and a verb. And sometimes we think of the faith, a noun, you know, the doctrine we believe, our core beliefs, are, are we theologically sound, are we growing in our knowledge of the Bible? That's faith, the noun. But what I'm talking about here is living by faith, the verb. It's an action. Let me read what one author says about this. He says, what does it really mean to live by faith? The response of faith is nothing more than obedience. Faith begins with God speaking and materializes when we respond. Somehow we've come to believe that faith removes ambiguity rather than calls us to live in it. As mentioned earlier, we have primarily related to faith as a noun rather than a verb. This the church has to, be, has to make sure beliefs are doctrinally sound and people have a growing knowledge of the Bible rather than to live a dynamic, fluid relationship with God through which we learn to hear the voice of God and move in response to him. Do you see the difference? A church can know all about the faith, the noun, and yet not really live by faith, the, the verb. Sometimes it's easier for a church to just be this well-oiled machine, uh, having everything nailed down and figured out, and there's no more room for God to move. Faith 
is much more difficult in some ways. It's hard to live with ambiguity, to not know for sure how things are going to turn out. And yet God seldom tells us exactly what it's going to be like on the other side of the river. You know, I love the story of the, the brilliant ethicist Jan, John Cavanaugh, who went to work for three months at Mother Teresa's ministry in Calcutta. And he left the United States hoping to get a clear answer as to how to spend the rest of his life. And on the first morning there, he met Mother Teresa. And she asked him, and what can I do for you? Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. And she said, well, what do you want me to pray for? He voiced the request that he had been, that had been born thousands of miles from the United States. Pray that I have clarity. She said firmly, no, I will not do that. I love Mother Teresa. <laughs> very, very straightforward. No, I will not do that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have clarity he lo- that he longed for, she laughed and said, I never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you will learn to trust God. You see, God calls us, but rarely gives us exactly a roadmap on what we need to do. For some reason, God always requires us to step out to take some action first. This is faith in order to experience God's power in their life or in our life. You know, we see this in this story today. The people are on the edge of the Jordan River, and they can see the promised land, but there are no boats. There's not a bridge with a sign, go across this bridge to the promised land. No, they have to go through the river. And what's interesting is three chapters later, God tells them this. He says, when the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan uh, flowing from above shall be cut off. They shall stand in a single heap. In other words, what God is asking them to do is, first you have to step into the river, and then I will stop the waters. God was going to demonstrate his power but the people would have to take the first step. This is is an interesting dynamic in faith that I have seen over and over and over again. This is faith, the verb, acting in obedience, not always knowing what's ahead, not always knowing all the details, not having the clarity that we often seek. You know, I was fortunate to pastor a church that became a 1% church. And people, just like in the Church of Thessalonia, they would ask me, what have you learned about pastoring this church? And I would get calls from people all over the country asking me, "How how did you do this? How did the church start growing? How did the church move from a a church of the 76% to a church of 1%? What have you learned as you've led a church like this? 
And you know what my answer always was? What I've learned is that God is a big God. Bigger than we can imagine. And that when we step out in faith, not knowing exactly what's going to happen, but in the best way possible, trying to hear the voice of God and then stepping out in faith and taking the verb, action, stepping out in faith, God does something. That was the greatest lesson I learned. I remember when I first got to this church, it had been declining for, for, uh, since the 1950s and 60s. That was its apex, 1,500-member church at that time. And it had dwindled to, to maybe two or 300 people. Here I am, the first time a senior pastor, and I get to this church, and the staff, man, they quit like rats jumping off a ship. Uh, my associate pastor quit. He was married to the uh, music minister, so she left too. I remember I was putting books in my office. He was taking books out of his office. We had to let the youth pastor go. The church manager realized we were going to use computers, <laughs> and so she quit. I mean, it went on and on. All I had was one intern, a 24-year-old intern, <laughs> and this was in August. By September, we had to run a stewardship campaign. We had to have a plan, and we came up with a staffing plan. It was passed by the Board of Elders, and then we had to go to the church in a congregational meeting. Now, this is a church that hadn't increased their budget for years. What they would do is they'd just always say, well, what was last year? Let's do that again, maybe add a little bit, cost of living, but that's basically it. This was a whole new thing. And so we had this congregational meeting, and here I am, this, this young pastor, and I got up and I said, you know, we're going to ask for a 20% increase this next year. We've prayed about it. We've thought about it. The board has talked about it. We feel like God is leading us as best as we know. This is a big step of faith. I was nervous. I remember my hands kind of shaking. And so then we had discussion. And this church had kind of a sloped sanctuary and maybe halfway back. Who stands up but the pastor emeritus? who had been the pastor for years and had retired and was part of the congregation. And I didn't really know very well at that point. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's he going to say? He got up and he said, you know what? This young pastor, he scares me. And this board of elders, they scare me. This is a huge increase to ask. He said, but I'm going to up my pledge, 20%. That was it. And here was this church that hadn't really raised their budget in years. And we went through the year with a staffing plan, got people hired, came to the end of the year. You know what? It wasn't a 20% increase. It was 30%. And that just set us on this path of expecting God to do great things. It set us on a path of being a church that lived by faith. You know what? We are at a crossroads. 
as a church. And I really feel like now, today, we are entering a new chapter. I don't know why, but coming back this last year has just been, you know, in and out, lots of things. But now I feel like, all right, this is the new chapter. This is the new beginning. And my prayer is that we would be a church of faith, that we would, we would be a church that would risk, that would step out in faith, even when we didn't know exactly what was going to unfold. Next, next couple weeks, we've got the mission study report coming out. They've done good work. It will give us a roadmap. They've identified opportunities in this church that we need to tackle. Uh, we will begin stewardship in March. We're gathering together for the first time. It's a whole new chapter. People of PCC, are you ready for a journey of faith where we see God act in miraculous ways? I am. I pray you are too. Amen? God, we thank you for this great story. And we thank you for these promises that you will always be with us. That it is your power that will empower this church to move forward and to become the church that you dream for it to become. Lord, we admit that change scares us. We admit that that there's a lot of work ahead. It's going to demand a lot from all of us in, in so many ways. But God, we're also excited to see you work and for us to see what a big God you are. Lord, give us courage and give us faith to step into the river. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and take this morning's offering. It's a way of us, in a very concrete way, uh, of expressing our faith and our trust in God and also our love for Christ. Let's take this morning's offering.